Yeah, I mean, m- most people I know live in the city. Yeah. So I'm in here almost every day. Anyway, okay. it kind of feels like home, but it's not home yet. Yet. Yeah. Astoria is in my sights. I think that's the spot. That's where I've, that's where I've been for 15 years. It's a good really? spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, any recommendations? I, I yeah, I adore it. What's kept you out of the city proper? I'm not home enough to like mm. really think about maintaining a, like a space and worry about a studio that's. Uh, you know, building with a bunch of other people or something, if there's a fire or what. I mean, there's just all these logistical reasons why not that aren't very exciting. But it's hitting that point where I think it's it's now time. Hitting the point where you think that you're going to be home more to actually take advantage of it? Uh, well, a lot more touring, but, but um, it, it seems like the way we're doing it, I'm going to be home for more spurts, which mm. there will be enough time to get work done and sort of subletting the studio space out to some friends of mine that, um, I mean, it's since... This was a problem. I've made a lot of friends who are engineers, and uh, the fact that someone could be in there using it and watching after it uh, would be a reason to move it over there, because I, I wouldn't be just watching it on a Nest Cam, hoping yeah. nobody goes and steals my compressors. That's a fair. So that's a fair point. It's more of just like the problem of like having a lot of very expensive equipment in a space, and I guess it is more vul- vulnerable in the city. Yeah, and there's a lot of like uh, you know you have to get the like the proper internet run to it yeah. and, and sometimes you need like three phase power for bigger things and you know there's just a at some point i'll deal with it all but it's yeah. all, all these little finicky things is sort of that's what has kept me away from uh really coming out here yet and you're, also money you know you're from new york state originally yeah just you know, 30 minutes upstate of here okay. in mamaronek you know at this point in like 2020 like how much actual equipment does one need to produce a record Need is the key word in that <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Um, well, let's th- start with need, and then we can go from there. I think you can very happily make a whole record with just a laptop. Damon Albarn made one with an iPad that's pretty killing. Yeah. Um, he's done all right for himself, right? Yeah, he's. I, yeah. I heard of him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of more about what your creative process mm. looks like. And, uh, you know, for me, I get such a – my father's an engineer. All my friends basically are engineers. So I, I get a kick out of the, the – tech side of things I've, I've built a lot of the mic preamps that are in my studio and built uh, or like restored a lot of the outboard gear that is there and so every time i use it it's kind of like remembering like all these fun conversations i had with my friend andy where we tried to figure out why the meter wouldn't go up and it's kind of like a extra little victory when that ends up on a vocal on a song because you remember going through this whole process with somebody and it's it's kind of like they're working on your music with you um and so i think that the the sort of tactile quality of the analog equipment mm. is kind of more valuable to me than the fact that it might sound 10, 15% better than the plug-in version of things, which isn't always the case. I mean, like, real tape echo is, that's going to trounce a fake tape echo, but, I mean, there are some where it's, like, someone can give you the squinty-eyed yeah. look and say, like, do you really hear a difference? Yeah. So, I, I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, the way you perceive it in there, too, and you got to be careful not to just buy into the, the sure. look of things, I think. Sure. This is sort of the space where you've kind of really just built it up piece by piece. You didn't just go out one day and no, spend no. all that money on all that equipment. Uh, oh, since I was 15, I've been building it. And, you know, more has gone than has come in. Um, you know, well, it doesn't really make any sense. But, I, like, I've, I've, I've tried out a lot of stuff that I then kind of threw back into the ocean. And the things that I have now that I work with, I'm really comfortable and quick on. And it's kind of... Uh, it's a really nice workflow at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I know exactly what I would like for something, which character belongs on whom, and it, it sort of uh, takes worrying about making a vocal sound good, for instance, out of making a song, because I, I have that sorted 
Um, yeah. And I have that for a lot of things at this point, so I can just focus on writing a song instead of uh, worrying about gear. Yeah. Even I, I though just... it sounds like all I do is worry about gear. But... <laughs> if your main concern is really just kind of like pinpointing something and you know trying to get like exactly what you want, then maybe a computer is the best for that? Yeah. I, I mean, I... I some tunes still I'll just make on a computer yep. because you just want the precision and you just want to get to the point. The thing about analog stuff, especially like analog echoes and reverbs, is that they um, you have to recall them, and some of them are temperamental and will be different depending mm-hmm. on how hot the room is. And sometimes if you've fallen in love with something in a particular way, you don't want that to just sort of like modulate as you go to the bathroom. So um, there's a, like a security to working in the digital domain yeah. for sure. Which sometimes is still really nice. And on tour, I have no choice. And it's, you know, people like UAD or Arcturia, or, I mean, they've got stuff that it you can sort of spark that same inspiration using their stuff, I think, uh, if you let it happen. And, uh, yeah. I, I, had a, I had Alan Ravenstein on the show uh, a couple of years ago. He was in Para-Ubu. He was, like, their, their keyboard player before. Because mm-hmm. he was also just, like, very, very, like, you know, Frankenstein approach. Uh, like, his... You know, we're talking about like you know seventies, like pretty early days of a lot of these uh, modular synthesizers, and it was just sort of resolved to the fact that he would never be able to recreate those sounds. <laughs> that you can like you get this like really cool stuff on tape, but like that one once it came time time to tour, it was like, well, we'll just have to to do our own version of it. There's just there's like no way of like bringing this out on the road. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's yeah. there are something you know there are sounds that are like my dad's old car scraping on a bunch of ice with like a zoom recorder in the cup holder and like that you just can't do that yeah and so that's got to go in like an op1 or an octatrack or something to reproduce it but lately we've been really trying with the exception of like literally sound effects to not have there be backing tracks you know there are some sections where it's like there's the impossible robot vocal that needs to come in with me um, Mm -hmm. on a song and there's just no way around it but uh for the most part just trying to make all the sounds come out of people um i think it, it for all of us it just feels better on stage because yeah. we know that everyone's kind of in the same place instead of uh us playing along with something which can it, it just starts to feel like you're on one of those rides at disney world where like yeah. godzilla pops out of nowhere or whatever where you sort of like trigger something and, and then, then you go on it again yeah. and then it's the exact same thing yeah so rehearsing becomes like that and so uh, I, I remember like, as a kid seeing that uh there's like a flock of seagulls video i think it's like the iran video where he just like hits the you know the key on the keyboard and like triggers the entire thing and that kind of I don't know that that kind of ruined my brain for a little bit when it came to something <laughs> that it was just like why would you go see this band live if you're just going to see a very effortlessly trigger a sound on a keyboard yeah I think and there's some beauty in the way that some people do it I mean David Gilmore used to run mm. all the man's lights with a tape recorder yeah that's can you curse on sure. the show? There, there's uh, a sense of, like, showmanship that you can... Yeah. I mean, that blew my mind when someone yeah. was explaining to me that he had, like, different time code tracks for each thing that was going on, and their set pieces coming out were all, like, controlled by, like, you know, pedals that he would run that would then cue up a tape. I mean, like, that's a creative and, like, industrial feat. And so I, I think that, you know, you can celebrate that kind of thing. But, yeah, computers have made it so easy that it sort of feels cheap, I guess, when 18 layers of background vocals just come in behind someone. And I mean, it works in some contexts, but sure. I just, and I, I think everyone should just do whatever makes them the most comfortable performer and what they think is the best show. And for us, it used to not bother me as much, and lately, it's just uh, the more I like play with the people I love and 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 
want to surround myself in like musicians that inspire me, the more I realize that I don't really want to have anything else playing with us. It sort of takes away from the fact that we're all just together on stage. And yeah, like, and you want. It was funny. I was having a, a discussion with a friend the other day about ska bands and about how like the reason one of the reasons why ska band shows are so goofy is because. The horn players don't have anything to do for most of the show. <laughs> They're just trying to like do something to keep themselves entertained. But that, you know, I assume that that that's the case too when you're bringing a bunch of musicians on tour. Like you want everybody to have a a job. You want everybody to be engaged the entire time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's everyone feeling like their role is just as important as the next band members has really been something that. Uh, Early on, I didn't worry about it as much, and there were songs that went by where mm-hmm. you know, someone would just sort of be standing there looking sad and uh, <laughs> learning how to manipulate the energy like across a you know a group of four or five people. We we just did a shoot for something that's coming out at some point where we did a song with nine people, which I've never mm-hmm. done before, and mm-hmm. a string section and a whole. Oh, wow. That's just so exciting. I mean, yeah. just just to have that many brains computing the same material and, and you sort of feel it in the air. Uh, I think you know that's what I want to be doing more. The first time you write a piece of music and somebody plays it, it must be exhilarating. And I assume that maybe you get a taste of that again when you when there's an orchestra involved. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I did a couple of shows at the Town Hall Theater with a like an 18 piece string section mm-hmm. or something like that, and like a harpist and a bunch of yeah. background singers, and it, it it is just a different experience. Not to mention a different arrangement of your your existing stuff, but it just uh, kind of reminds you that it, it really. It, well, at least my stuff feels like it ought to be coming out of people and not out of them. Were you doing any of the arranging yourself? For that, no. But for the uh, string sections and the new thing that's coming out, that's uh, me and my friend Alba Toramocha. Yeah. Um, and she actually did the horns and a couple other things on the record that just came out. Do you have a classical training? I don't. And, you don't, okay. But she does. And okay. so she, but you're able to sort of like micromanage her in such a way or something? that She's just awesome. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just not like a she's not snooty or precious about anything and so I could just be like this just sucks here and she'll change it and be like All are, right, are you snooty or precious about anything I mean it, it is your music it depends who I'm working with I mean with her no because yeah. I, I just trust her and so it's uh, a very very easy process to just go back and forth kind of discuss sort of what we want to be doing with the section and then she'll approach it like one of two ways and I mean it was a pretty easy process not a lot of going backward um and I think the stuff that came out of it that she did is just like mind-blowing. I can't. I'm kind of sad that it was just for this one thing because I want to yeah. hear those arrangements in the future. It doesn't have to be, right? I mean, the, you know, the future is open when it comes to exploring new territory. Definitely. Just having them in your back pocket. Yeah. A bunch of, like, killing notation. Before we get too far from ska bands. Yes, sir. My neighbor's the drummer in the Mighty Mighty Boston, and his son is the kid in my Silver and Gold video that we just put out. Yeah. Which is kind of a weird small world thing. Yeah. Wow. I, we were just like, we need like a kid actor. Like, you know, huh. we don't, we don't know what to do. Like, and then just like, <laughs> he just goes running out the front door and I'm like, Josh, what's Noah doing? That's amazing. He's, you know, very sweet kid. I was not <laughs> expecting that reference, but thank you. Thank you very much. My day has been That's my, my only ska That's pretty uh, good. anecdote. That's that a I pretty can... good ska anecdote. You're referring to it as a band, so does it feel like a band, even though the project is under your name? Yeah. I mean, I'm still writing the tunes, and I'll get them to, you know, the mastered stage. And then, you know, right before that, I kind of, like, run it by everybody and say, like, you know, how do we think we're going to approach this live? And, mm-hmm. you know, is there anything that we would change to make this feel like more dynamic and you know the, the feedback is always like 
really minute little things. Was the plan always to tour on all of your music from the beginning, or you know, how much of it was really just sort of you just doing stuff in your bedroom, and that was kind of the beginning and end of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, the first record was just my rule that I had made for myself was I just wanted to finish something before I got out of high school. Better than most. Well, I mean, those were just the, the I think it was initially 11 tunes or 10 tunes. Um, yeah. And then I added three when it re-released a grand jury. But um, th- there was no thought about, like, making a cohesive piece of art. It was mm. just kind of like I'm trying to find my sound. I want to explore the sonic landscape here and just, like, write tunes that sound good to my ear. You know, since then have had the luxury of, like... Um, being able to take six weeks and really say like, okay, this is like the time I'm going to allot for myself. These are the sort of overarching themes of the record. Six weeks to write and produce a record? Yeah, like for the Boomerang EP, that was the first thing that I approached as like, I'm making a record instead of just like one song after the other that then added up to a record. Um, Because I didn't really know what I was doing. It wasn't, uh, I don't think I was particularly ambitious. We sent it out to like some college radio stations mm-hmm. and stuff, but um, never really knew what to do. And uh, yeah. it was only when I started posting it to SoundCloud cloud that anything uh, started to happen. And then later on we re-released it, but uh, you know, Boomerang being like a release that's like the thing following up this uh, you know, load of touring that we did on high speeds was kind of, there was a little more pressure to try to make it feel like one big piece. Um, and then the, the most recent one, Change in Diet, same thing, and it took me way too long to make, and I don't want to take that long to make a record. How long is too long? Like three years or something. Okay, like that. That, yeah, that, that's too long. Yeah, <laughs> to, from from the from the initial conception to actually putting it out, or was there a time when you just weren't really thinking about working on a record? A little bit. There were there were times okay. when I I wasn't really making much of anything. Yeah, and then there would be you know a couple weeks here or there where there'd be flashes of inspiration, and I try to just sort of capture that lightning but it was only you know in the last eight months or so that uh i really managed to like find the like gumption to get the whole thing together and make it make sense as it's like a piece of art instead of just a bunch of fragmented ideas let's dig into that a little bit you know so you you mentioned early on that that it was a collection of songs which i think is obviously it's totally valid right there are plenty of musicians and bands that put out music that way when you're talking about something being an overarching piece of art what 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 what's the through line well uh, for change and diet it's like a, a um it's a change in the way that i'm going to approach feeling happy and a way that i would change uh the way that i look at success and and uh being able to experience love because so much changed so quickly in my life that processing it the best way to process it was to just write a record. Yeah, but obviously, it, that's still there. There's still a lot of bang your head against the wall that took that long to produce it. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it sort of encapsulated the the end of a really long relationship yeah. and finding my way back to sea or well, yeah, sea level. You could call it, I guess. And uh, I mean, it ends pretty happy, I think, because it sort of has this uh, kind of like saying goodbye to a person, but also like you know saying that I'm not going to be the one to like get up out of this restaurant and you know we've just broken up but you're going to be the one to leave. What does that what does that mean exactly? Well like like they're going to walk out of my life now and I see. I'm, I'm still I know. Yeah. I, you're going to enjoy food goddammit. Yeah, I I've, I've got a huevos rancheros to finish. Yeah. When you go through a particularly substantial breakup is your first impulse as musician to use music as catharsis? Do you go do you like 
once you leave the restaurant, do you run home and just start, you know, singing into a microphone? <laughs> once the, you know, the chips are out of your system? Not as... I'd love to say yeah, because that's a cooler answer. Like, oh, it just just fixes everything. But, well, but, but, really, but also, and I'm not like not suggesting that. Obviously, like the first thing you put on 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 the album is art. But like, you know, there, there there's something cathartic about screaming into a microphone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how ever how close I'll ever get to screaming. Sure. But, but we'll, it's not so much like singing into a microphone and writing full songs. It's mm-hmm. just sort of like driving around panicked and occasionally mm-hmm. writing down a line that I think of or like some sort of thought that I'm having and trying to, even if I don't really know what it means, just trying to make a map for myself of what my feelings look like and then being able to uh, refer to that later and sort of remember where my head was at uh, is a helpful tool for writing. But uh, Do you remember any of those stray lines that were kind of floating around early on? Well, one of the the biggest ones was twist my body into shapes, which made it into the well, bend my body into shapes. It turns into later in the record, yeah. but it just uh, was all about how I sort of, you know, changed the way that I uh, felt about so many things to remain uh, in this yeah. incredibly long relationship for someone my age. Uh, it was ten years long, yeah. so I mean, it was kind of like that was a huge portion of my life, um, and you. That's like the age where you're developing the way that you who you are as a person is 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 part of that and um i felt like i'd really compromised myself by Mm. uh bending to the whim of the other person uh where i should have been just sort of growing in whatever direction i wanted to be growing in and toward the end it was you know more like bending my body twisting my body you know it's sort of the, the, the line the record opens on that line because it's sort of the the main theme is that it's like i've um I'm not sure what I'm going to be now when I untwist and unbend because I've been doing this for so long. Especially when you're younger, right? I mean, you, you need to figure out who... You really do need to figure out who you are before you can be in a relationship with somebody else. Right. When it was still, you know, things were humming along well, did the relationship make its way onto the record? Or was it the sort of thing that you had to just sort of go through a, a nasty breakup to really process? I had bits and pieces of the song that had, you know... Um, songs that had uh elements of sort of what i was feeling toward the end of the thing because the last couple of years were you know it it should have ended sooner but um it it always does i mean (laughs) if it it, it doesn't end in like an explosive way it always just sort of takes a little yeah a little longer than anybody sure and um so yeah i mean bits of that made it in but it was yeah really only after it happened did i get the kick to just finish it all yes um i dated a songwriter for a while and i (laughs) And I was like, she never wrote a song about me until we broke up. You know, I don't know if that says something about me or maybe it's just like, it's hard to be earnest about something you're happy about, right? I mean, it's hard to just be like, without sounding completely over the top or cheesy, writing a song about how great things are and how much you're in love with somebody. Right, yeah, and I think it depends what genre, I guess. Sure. Like Motown has a lot of that. Motown, Ska, all the great. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the really good Motown songs are those, like, you know, like all the, like, David Ruffin stuff is just, like, tracks my tears, you know, tears of a clown. Like, the the breakup stuff is the stuff that they're really kind of, like, the the kind of the pure music comes out of. Yeah, I think, I mean, happiness for me is always in, like, little sort of flashes and moments, Mm. and it doesn't. I don't look at it as something that will sustain. It's just, or something to strive after. It's just do what you think is best and like what you think would be uh, 
the best thing for you to be doing now and happiness will just sort of come naturally whereas yeah. you know sadness can weigh on you like a blanket and, and you just don't understand where it's coming from and so i think trying to point at it with a song is it's a natural thing and uh, you might not second guess happiness whereas you know sadness is something you really uh think about a lot because you want to get to the bottom of it or from the sound of things maybe you don't realize that you're sad until you've got a little distance from that thing Right, yeah. You put a few miles between, um, like, this wreck of a thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's, it's, it is a bit like seeing it from space once it's all over. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and again, especially at a young age, you, know, like, you really didn't know much, anything different, right? I mean, you, right. Didn't know, you didn't know perhaps that there were other ways that relationships could go. Sure, yeah. You said two things. One, that it's not, not going to sustain, and two, that it's not worth chasing after. But I think those are two different ideas, right? You know, just because you have the knowledge that life isn't happy and that you're not going to be happy all the time, does that necessarily mean that it's not something worth actively pursuing? Well, that's a tough question. I think you can find the things that give you those those flashes of happiness, but, yeah. but expecting something to be what makes you happy or worth someone uh, to make you happy is, is, I think, a recipe for failure because it, it might not always or it might slowly make you less happy over many years which is i guess what happened to us so just trying to feel good about what you're doing but worry more about i mean for me it's just worrying about making the best stuff i can make and that's something that i feel like is the most sustainable source of happiness for me today and uh so i'm gonna stick with that what is the most purely enjoyable part of the music making process for you it's a tie so finishing something actually taking it to mastering. I always love when, when you ask somebody like what, what makes you happiest about something and they're like being done with it. <laughs> I just hate doing it so <laughs> yeah. much. Taking it to, to go get wrapped up in a tiny little bow is a beautiful thing because it's sort of like it's off your chest finally and yeah. you can, you know, once it's been mastered, it costs money to do it again, so it's easier to call it done also, you know, it's like is the process of doing it though is that kind of painful? I mean, especially when it's sort of sustained in three years. and Yeah, it's exhausting. And, yeah. you know, I, I felt for weeks that I just wasn't ever going to write another song again. And then <laughs> suddenly plenty of songs started coming out. And I, you know, it's I'm actually trying to finish a whole other batch of them before we go on tour. It's just a it's funny how it works. Um, and I, for some reason these days, rely less on inspiration and, and the idea that some like song is going to come out of nowhere and I've been able to like get to work in the morning and come out at night with some real stuff and i attribute that to uh, maybe eliminating some of the toxicity that was there and that yeah. i didn't even it was you know latent i couldn't tell but uh knowing that i wasn't going to piss someone off if i wasn't able to go to dinner or something yeah. else you know uh, maybe one of the tiny little things that i needed to uh, be able to work through the night just shut my phone off and go um being done with it is the first part. What's the other part? Uh, showing it to the band and dismantling it and then putting it back together as, yeah. a, as an ensemble. Because hearing how they take it into their hands and do their own thing with it is always so fascinating. And my bandmates are way better musicians than me, too. So it's it's a phenomenal thing to watch them make sense of a part that was maybe once MIDI and is now being played on a fretboard. Or you know, yeah. th- Devin plays keys and drums at the same time. The process of making a record is still completely solitary? Yes, and except for, like, working with Alba for around some of the arranging. Mm-hmm. It was actually Alba and her husband Noah, um, who I met first, but Alba's cooler. No, they both um, did a beautiful job arranging the horns on a song called Dog Catcher that uh, is one of my favorites just because I made it with my friends. Yeah. And uh, 
but other than that, yeah, this was a, a pretty vacuumy record. You said one, they're better, they're better musicians than you are, and two, you particularly enjoy the one where you were working with your friends. So, like, you know, maybe there's a pretty obvious solution here. Well, yeah, I think, but also making sure that the live act stays its own thing and and why? Because I, I feel like the the line in between creating the music and performing the music is it's it's sort of a it's fun to separate my brain from their brains because mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm going to get a completely separate take on something as opposed to it just starting the one way and staying that way forever. It's it's like a it gives it a new life every time I take it to them instead of us just uh, yeah. going through. And that's not to say I haven't had them overdub some bass or drums here and there. Um, but also I'm, I'm working at two in the morning most of the time and it's just impractical to have anyone else there with you. It's, I work best when it's just silent and uh, I can shut off the air conditioner fan and mm-hmm. like hear my ears ring and just cut a vocal like to a drone and like that's going to be the best vocal that I cut. That's something you're going to have to get used to if and when you move to the city. Um, you know, you can hear the uh, air conditioner in here right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm from California and I went to school in Santa Cruz which is just like in the middle of the redwood forests. It's like Endor in uh, Return of the Jedi, giant sequoia <laughs> trees. And I remember going, like, leaving New York for the first time and being in the middle of the forest and being just being like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard silence since I moved to New York City. <laughs> it's a crazy thing that there's, like, even at, like, 2 a.m., there's no, there's just, there's no moments of, of absolute silence. Yeah, you can never have that anechoic chamber moment yeah. out here. So are you going to go home after this and, and record? I mean, is it, like, is it that much of a kind of daily work regimen at this point uh tonight actually is uh, we're prepping for tour and so okay. i'm i'm helping our support uh who's going to do the whole the whole thing with us uh with their live rig it sounds like something that you've you've had to kind of carve out some very specific time and make sure what do they call it wood shedding mm-hmm. you know that that you're doing a certain amount of work on the record or music writing or touring or whatever every single day? Yeah, I mean, Annie Clark in an interview once said that she treats it like a day job, and if she's not working eight hours a day at her day job, then she should fire herself. And I thought that was such a simple, beautiful way of looking at uh, writing music. Yeah. And so I've kind of adopted that when I'm making a record, but right now it's kind of like a crazy beehive of a world because i've got like tour starting and i'm like finishing a couple videos and the record just came out so it's kind of hard to have a schedule but that's fun too and yeah. you know I, I know that i'm about to hit like this ultra regimented touring uh, cadence so i uh it's kind of fun to just be running around with my head cut off i always thought the trade-off for for being a creative you know doing some doing something in some creative field where you don't have an office and you know, you're not like punching the clock every day. One that you get to make your own hours, which is great. But the downside of it is that like you don't ever get to not work. That's you know, like you know, you're as you said, you're driving around. Although it sounds like you were perhaps doing that for the sake of getting inspiration, but like you need to always be open to the idea that something is going to come to you and and kickstart that next process. Right. Yeah. I mean. All of my friends who write music that we all understand, like, if we cancel plans at the last second, it's it's not a F you. It's a, like, something's going well, and I know I'm just happy for them if, if it happens. I think it's great, um, and I'll do it to them, too, if there's a good song happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it doesn't stop. I mean, there are weeks where I'm kind of just worrying about one thing, and I can get into the rhythm of that and uh, really enjoy, like, you know, uh, just worrying about the artwork for the vinyl or something like that. Um 
but uh, yeah, when when in writing mode, it is kind of like it can jump out of any bush and give you a lyric that would start a song. And it's just like, all right, let's stop the car, yeah, get off this exit, and get to work. Do you get a sense of what it was that happened that kind of opened the floodgates this last time? After uh, how you know two and a half years of not being able to write, really having like a relationship that long end, and then just being kind of plopped on the side of the road and been like, well, all right. <laughs> okay, so so sorry, so I I can get my timeline straight. So so this break between records, the breakup happened. It happened during making a change in diet. Okay, where I was really stuck on it, and then yeah. actually just after it happened, it was it was pretty clear what needed to happen to finish it. Um, How far along were you when that happened? Thirty percent of the way, I guess. Okay, and then I finished the last seventy percent of it in like six weeks. Um, as so, it was songs I've had had a few lyrics from and some like you know drum breaks and progressions but uh was having a hard time really making anything um for a while there i mean at what point in the process is it, is it clear that you have this cohesive idea for a set of songs well i mean that's what makes it take so long and what's so hard is it, and you can't keep listening through the whole thing because you'll go numb um i think as long as it feels like every song is kind of pointing toward the same thing, uh, and they can sound totally different and still be like, hmm. like saying that, making you feel the same way. I guess is a, is a better. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a pretty indistinct thing, though, and so that's that's why, I guess why I get so stuck on it. So I don't really know how to tell. You know, I'll, I'll like play it for my parents, and like, oh, well, they all sound like you wrote them, and it's like, well, that that <laughs> well, that's nice, but sure. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I yeah. you know, <laughs> it's hard to find the feedback you're looking for, I guess, when yeah. you're doing that. Are you bouncing the songs off of people during that process? Uh, a few, yeah. A few yeah. kind of close friends and people that uh, I really love the music they write. So it just sort of makes sense to see how something hits them. Have you ever had somebody be like, oh, Elliot, no, that, that this is what this is about. Or, you know, this, this is like... This is what you're writing about, you know. Again, like this idea of like being like maybe too inside of something to really kind of notice what you're putting together. I've had that happen, but not from someone telling me. Just from uh, from being on the road and hearing tunes hit people in like yeah. in ways I wasn't expecting. And uh, it, like from the first record, there's this uh, there's a tune, even great things on there which is like this this sad song about saying goodbye to someone. Um, and when I heard it, I didn't even know why I wrote it, mm. which is really strange. And then uh, it started to apply to the thought of, you know, maybe that this thing wasn't going to have legs. And uh, I mean, it, it sounds like I knew what I was doing, but uh, I just thought that this record needed a sad acoustic song and let me approach it this way. And so you wrote a breakup song two years or however many years before your breakup? I did, and... And then it made sense later, but yeah. I, I really I didn't even think about it. I just was kind of trying to write a pretty sad song, and then yeah. it, it's when you see it hit someone and they start to cry. I'm like, it's like it makes sense suddenly, and like it, you know, it applies to the thing that happened later. It doesn't even you know, it feels a little disingenuous. Being thirty percent finished or thirty percent along the way, this you know big life changing event happens. Prior to that, do you have a sense of like what the record would have been? I don't think I would have finished it. 
Maybe you would have finished this in a songs eventually, right? I mean, eventually, at maybe, some point but, you would have written more music. But yeah, I mean, it was it was also kind of a lousy time. I was between management and yeah. sort of I hadn't I didn't have a, a deal signed up for it yet, and there was really no pressure to do anything. You know, her and I, we were she and I were really dealing with um, a lot of lousy stuff in both of our lives independently, mm-hmm. and then it was just sort of uh, I don't think there was any way that that was going to survive. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been as good. I mean, it definitely would have gotten finished sure. at some point when when something came along. But uh, I mean, it was the, the the kick of like, all right, well, what am I going to do now? Yeah. That, that really allowed me to pursue all of those things. And I mean, like t- today is, I, I wish me today could tell me a year ago how fine things are because <laughs> it all worked out great. But it's it's just, um, it, you know, next time I'm feeling that way, I, I have the luxury of knowing that you know it's. It, Things don't stay shitty, which sounds so simple, but when sure. you're in it, it's, it's, you know, you can't see the forest through the trees. Putting together the rest of the record. How involved was that in the process of getting over this and moving on? I, I think quite a bit. Um, mastering it and buttoning it up and, and, you know, saying like, okay, this is this thing that I made was, yeah. was sort of like saying that I'm done with that chapter of my life, you know, it, it sort of traps it in a little Pandora's box of a record and, and then I can move on. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? Because you're about to tour on it. But it's still trapped. Yeah. I can still, I can sing songs from it, but well, it just has to be. How in. much do you have to sort of like inhabit a place or how much does like going back and playing that music and, you know, knowing like exactly where you were and what you were going through, like, you know, how much does that bring up some of those old memories? I mean, it, it, it totally brings them back up, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, a memory palace or something like that. You know, mm. if you, you go to the place and then you come back out of it. You're tourists and your yeah. own ideas. Yeah. That's a way cooler way of saying what I said. <laughs> a tourist in your own ideas, man. Um, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. yeah you, you, you incept yourself. You played some of these live and you've, you've kind of already experienced that. And there's no, there's no concern that like, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe being emotional, maybe that, that works in your favor. I mean, it's definitely emotional. There, there are particularly the, the really sad ones. I mean, yeah. if, what gets me and when it really starts to hit me hard uh, is when I see it hitting someone else. You, know, you have someone yeah. in the front row whose like eyes are welling up like during the sad one. Like, uh, yeah, that's gonna kind of uh, it's gonna break down that wall for a minute, and some stuff may come flooding back. But I, I think it's still safe because it's just a song now, and it's gonna end. It's sort of put it truncates the whole thing, which. As I think what is so therapeutic about writing music for me is that it, you can make something beautiful out of something that makes you feel awful in that way you have control over it. It sounds like earlier on, for the most part, your your, your process was more abstract. This is a lot more tangible. Were you, was there concern about being too open or too honest on record? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that alleviated that concern was that the person that a lot of this is about is no longer in my life and yeah. so it sort of feels safe to express all of these feelings it's always a tough thing of like of, of of being in a relationship with somebody especially for a long period of time is like you know you obviously are very close to this person i don't know i granted it like varies from person to person and for breakup to breakup but like maybe still don't necessarily want to hurt that person or maybe you do. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. But yeah. I, I'm I'm very happy 
to have encapsulated that person in this record and moved away from them, I think, is the best way of putting it. Like, I, yeah. I would think about it often while I was working on the thing, and I flew to Nashville to master it. And I remember flying back and a couple of weeks passing, and then it just occurring to me, like, in the supermarket that I hadn't thought about it at all and realizing that it worked. Um, and so that's how I know that, at least for me, it did its job, and I'm really excited to see if it can you know help anybody else do the same sort of thing because it's uh being that honest doesn't come naturally and i I think i hid behind a lot of uh like atmosphere and sound effects Mm -hmm. and whatever else on past stuff um just because it's you know as you're less confident as a writer and less confident as you know someone who can share their feelings you're gonna try to enact some sort of uh, mystery um, but this feels a lot more raw at least to me it's the same thing for love and for breakups is like you don't want to you don't want to be a cliche you right. don't want stuff to sound goofy and an easy way to do that when you're first writing is to kind of mask mask stuff in metaphor and to try to write some more convoluted poetry around something right yeah and I mean there's some pretty heavy symbolism going on in it but I only when it felt right and yeah. when it felt like it was kind of a interesting little like vignette that could play in your head that uh, would get the same point across as you know outright saying you know I don't know where I'm going I'm not going somewhere with you you know because mm-hmm. it's like making us both into trains you know and there's a tune called in the same place where it's like a you know a car and a train that just chase, chase each other yeah chase each other around and um thought it was kind of like a like a fun like pixar way of, mm-hmm. of doing the same thing <laughs> sounds like ultimately the process was was healthy and and helped you move on from it but when the process of recording is really just you and there's nobody else involved i mean can that be can that be unhealthy when when you know i mean when you're kind of hold yourself in up in a room late at night and are working on this thing alone you know is that is that bad for your psyche yeah, I think it can be when you're failing constantly too. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I've had like you know, days and days of getting nothing done, and then just you know getting furious with the whole thing and and needing to start from scratch, and you know wiping the whiteboard clean too many times is hmm. pretty demoralizing. So, um, uh, and that's what happened for the first two and a half years of trying to finish something. I mean, it was just uh, it was tough to get unstuck from that. Because I think I needed the distance between the, me and the issue to be able to articulate it. Just being inside it, it's, it's kind of like trying to count all the trees in a forest by just looking around in the middle of it. Were you working on other people's stuff? Were you able to sort of step away from it and, and still be in music? Not really. I, I, <laughs> I, I wasn't. It was kind of all or nothing. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah it was. It was a pretty lousy time, and you know, yeah. there was a lot of like you know uh, a lot of other stuff going on, and um, actually like took up like machining and thought like you know what i'm gonna become a machinist and you, and you I you watch the machinist and you're like that's i actually haven't seen it so. <laughs> okay don't <laughs> but, you know, like, you're not gonna be into machining if you watch the machinist. <laughs> and i mean you also have to lose like 90 pounds if you want to look like christian bale the oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah you know it was just a, like a weird when i look back at doing that it's good yeah. i just poured myself into like designing robot tool paths and sure. making things out of wood and working with a lathe and i wanted yeah. to make a whole shop and like this is what I, I could be really good at this this makes me happy i want to learn how to make titanium brackets in bulk and then uh that's kind of what i was doing up until the end of my relationship and then yeah the second it ended i was kind of like what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> what is this shit? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I still think it's super cool and the people that do it are amazing. Um, yeah. 
um, but like I, I should be doing what I have loved my entire life, and I kind of snapped back into it. Um, Do you think that you could have been happy in life without making music? I think it depends on the life that I led. I mean, if I were to, by some miracle, not encounter anything that ever really bummed me out too much, um, probably, maybe. And you know, if I had a job that was just steady, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that to me. I mean, sure, I sometimes fantasize it, about the idea of just showing up to the same place and, yeah. and like doing something for a certain amount of time and then I have like you know yeah. some friends like you know just <laughs> <laughs> fantasize about friends and mm. yeah um, but yeah I don't think I'd be me I mean I I, yeah. I jump around way too much in what I'm interested in and I think music is one of the only places that uh, allows me to do that without jumping outside of it it's crazy how much we get in our own heads to the point where we're just like oh yeah I could just stop making music. Everything would be fine. Like, I had that thought like every week. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's bizarre that that's something that has been an important part of your life since you were 15 just suddenly feels just like, you know, just completely ethereal. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I don't, I don't need, I don't need this in my life to be happy. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, not being happy is very confusing and yeah, uh, you know, it's, I think you just start to try to point at stuff and figure out what it is. Do you get the, the feeling that, it's going to take a life event every time you want to put a record out there that, you know, that something sort of like big external force is going to have to press on you to, to get it out there. No, which is, I think that there was something really, uh, inhibiting about being in this long thing. And it was really just this specific situation uh, because since then I've, I've written an EP and another record that I'm going to finish out on the road and, want to do more after that i mean there's there's just so much in the bank suddenly um record wise everything is streamed so there isn't so much in the bank but yeah um <laughs> music wise there are literal pennies on the dollar in the bank <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't think that's going to be an issue yeah. at all i think it, it's kind of taking it a little bit less seriously now i needed to get this really serious one off my chest mm. and the, being able to just have fun with music is is also going to be a skill that i can work on yeah, i guess we've pretty clearly sort of defined the parameters of not only what went into producing that record but i, I you know i think what the sort of general feeling and the again these overarching themes are what does music look like for you beyond that thematically and sonically well it's very different i mean there's i feel like that finishing that record and closing the door on it the last line on the record is close the doors um it's just sort of boxing it in there and Mm -hmm. and and now i don't have this to worry about anymore so i think it's kind of going to come out of i mean a lot of the crazy shit that's gone down since i broke up with uh, you know it's it's a Quite a bit has happened, and so there's plenty to... Such to, as? Such as a lot of uh, family getting sick. and oh, okay. Yeah, and, uh, so we're not talking and, about, and, like, happy stuff, No, no, no. So, please. Yeah. <laughs> I literally said two minutes ago, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, now that this is out of the way, I'm going to start to have fun. And it's like, oh, yeah, but... I, well, I'm having fun. I think yeah. it, it's, it can happen, too. It's, um, there's, the, the, the subject matter is not necessarily fun. I'm in this really weird spot right now where yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like insanely happy with the, like the, all of the, the people around me okay. and, and I'm having such a wonderful time, like, uh, being creative with them all. And I am collaborating with them and, yeah. and, and, uh, we're just spending a lot more time together than, uh, we ever have before. Um, and also there's this insane shit going on in the background, um, yeah. which is really weird. 
and I feel like it kind of just levels me out, and so I've I've got the fuel and the energy at the same time to write a lot of stuff, and I'm not sure whether it's going to be sad or happy, or maybe it'd be like a weird in between, kind of like musing on like disaster from this place of uh, comfort. 